Wow. This is just a tad bit different from what we're used to, isn't it? <laughs> hey, to everybody from the Westchester Church, Amanda and I want you to know that we love you and that we miss you incredibly. And I don't think anybody wanted it to look quite like this this morning where we're just scattered all over the place and we're not together as we always are. But isn't it a blessing, though, that even with, with all of this crazy, crazy stuff, that is happening in our world that that God's church can can still somehow come together even in the midst of of all of this darkness and sadness. If you are not a part of our specific congregation here at Westchester, we want you to know that we are glad that you you've stopped by today wherever you are in the world. If you've never once in your life gone to a church gathering and you know, I'm just so glad that you you also have stopped by today. And it seems like it wasn't even all that long ago when, when all of this slowly started gaining momentum in the news about China. And, and we all looked at China and said, wow, man, those poor, poor individuals in China. And now, I mean, this is something that is going to rattle every door in the inhabited earth. Where it seems like every single hour of the day, it's getting bumpier and bumpier and bumpier where we read news headlines that are absolutely chilling and, and that it's so easy to be swept away in, in that vortex of, of hysteria and, and of worry and fear. And, I mean, it's, it's hard to know who to listen to half the time because over here you got people saying, oh, there's nothing to it whatsoever, it's overblown, it's much to do about nothing, and then over here everybody's got their hair on fire and... It's the end of the world as, you know, everybody knows it. And, but if what they say is true, this is going to continue getting bumpier and bumpier, I'm quite afraid. Where there's a lot of questions rising up about health and about economy. But there are things about this, though, that I absolutely love. And things that, that could not have been more necessary especially for, for the modern day church, I believe at least. Because this is getting us out of our cathedrals into our homes, which if you look at, at the first century church, I mean, most of these congregations, if not all of these congregations were in homes. And so, I mean, isn't it refreshing to replace our pews with Lazy Boy this morning? And to replace suits and ties with, with our pajamas or whatever everybody's wearing out there. I don't think one person is wearing a suit and tie this morning. But what I love about this, though, is that it is getting us out of the straitjacket of routine. Where, I mean, what we are accustomed to, a lot of us at least, is that we go to a cathedral. And we park in the exact same space where we always go to. We sit down in the exact same pew where we, we've occupied for, for 10, 20, 30, 40 years of our lives. And it's very easy to look at that as the only way that we can be the church. But I like this because it is getting us away from, from that routine and the monotony of it. What I also love about this, though, is that it is forcing, especially us very hardworking, busy Americans, a lot of us who do not have an off switch, 
This is forcing us to actually slow down. And I mean, we have never had greater opportunity where we can be alone and, and just cry out to God. And maybe this is going to actually help us make this a habit in our lives moving forward if we have not already. So what I want to do this morning is to go to a minor prophet who we read of in Scripture and go to the book of Habakkuk. Now, to make a very long story, a very short story, what is going on as we read Habakkuk is that he is a prophet living in this time. And yet, as many of these other prophets had experienced, God is not being honored amongst his people at all. And when you look at God's alleged nation, there is no discernible difference between them and between all the other countries in the world. They are just as corrupt, if not even more corrupt, than, than a lot of the other countries who do not know God. And so, obviously, yeah, I mean, this, this is a giant problem. A couple of things that are very unique, though, about specifically Habakkuk. One is that Habakkuk is as much of a poet as he is a prophet. And so he is kind of like, like the King David of the Minor Prophets. He, um, every now and then, he just breaks out in song as he expresses himself. And yet the main thing that I especially appreciate, though, about the book of Habakkuk, that is very, as I said, unique, is that in most of the prophetic books of the Old Covenant, Old Testament times, we find a prophet who is crying out to, to a nation itself and to the people. But what we find in the book of Habakkuk, though, is the cries of, of God's prophet resounding only in the ears of God himself. And so what Habakkuk's struggle is, is that, God, I have just been praying and praying and praying, but, but nothing is changing. In fact, as this book starts, chapter 1 and verses 1, 1 and 2, what he's saying to God is, God, don't you care about the demise of your people? Can't you see what is going on in your nation? Why do you not get involved here? And so what we find in chapter 1, starting in verse 1, it says, it says the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. He says in verse 2, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help? and you will not hear, or cry to you violence, and you will not save. And what we're going to find is that another nation called the Chaldeans do eventually get, get involved. It is the exact same people who, who walk into Jerusalem and who absolutely, I mean, just, just utterly burn it to the ground and kill many, many people who were there. And so these are, are very, very sad and dark days for Israel. But that is not what I want to emphasize here this morning. But rather, what I want to emphasize to us is how this small, tiny book ends. Where we come to chapter 3, and we are surprised with one of the most beautiful psalms that we find anywhere in Scripture, psalms notwithstanding. And as a lot of the ancient songs are, it is, it is very dark, and yet it's very beautiful at the same time. Because what precedes this song, chapter 3 and verse 16, are these words where it says, I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. 
My legs tremble beneath me, and yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. And yet then notice how this great book ends, though, where he writes in verse 17, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines. And then he says, And the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. And yet, he says, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. And then he says, God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's, and he makes me tread on my high places. What Habakkuk is saying is that no matter what, you are God and I will glory in you. That no matter what is going on out there in the world, you are master and king and ruler and Lord, and I will trust in you no matter what happens. And Habakkuk came from a very long line of people who knew what discomfort felt like and what it was. We remember the ancient Israelites wandering in the wilderness, and, and as all of that had been underway, how they had experienced a temporary hunger that had been very great, how they had experienced thirst in the wilderness, how they get out of Egypt after 430 years of chains and whips and bondage, and then just when it looks like they are well on their way into the promised land, oh, here come the Egyptians. And it was in these moments where they learned how to trust God rather than freaking out as they and everyone else does for that matter as we grow and as we learn. And yet then as we look ahead into the history of the Israelites though, and we see a discomfort that is not so minor anymore, where the gloves start really flying off as we see in the year 586 BC as, you know, here comes Babylon now and, and they completely conquer the Israelites, lead them away into captivity. We think about the year AD 70 as now here come the Romans and, and Jerusalem falls yet again. As we look ahead into the age of the church also, there in the book of Acts, I mean, the church is established, 3,000 people at it, and it's just a wonderful, wonderful thing, and it's just so happy. And yet then apostles start getting killed. And then the church begins getting scattered all over the earth. And then the next thing that you know, a great persecution is now underway where, where a Christian father could only stand and watch as his wife, as his young children had been fed to lions in the Colosseum, ripped apart, decapitated in front of all of those people. Where there had been a Roman emperor whose name had been Nero, where he begins lighting Christians on fire. We read books like Hebrews and Revelation and, and all these other books, First Peter. It just goes on and on, and it does not look like God is in control. It looks like God has forevermore turned his back on his people, and it's like, like, God, are you still there? God, do you care about us? God, how long is this going to continue? And this is where Habakkuk is in a lot of ways. All of this is going on. God, don't you care? And yet, Habakkuk says, and yet. 
And yet, when our situation changes, when our provisions change, what Habakkuk is saying is that we serve a God who does not change. And the reason why I love how this book ends as much as I do is because Habakkuk is going to all of the worst-case scenarios of his time. He's going to the nightmare situations of most people alive in this time. He's mentioning things that are very vital to their economy. Fig trees that do not blossom. Vines which are producing absolutely no fruit. Olive trees that are barren. Cattle stalls that are empty. And I just love Habakkuk's spirit. Because Habakkuk has a theology and a faith and a trust and a confidence in the power of God that is not intimidated by all of the anxious what-ifs of this world. What he's saying is that, let's just play hypothetical here, every single one of our worst case scenarios could happen simultaneously. And yet, verse 18, and yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. And what we need to understand about what Habakkuk is saying here is that, that this is not a small or partial loss. But rather, what he is, is envisioning in this hypothetical is an utter abject desolation. It's just total abject poverty. And I think how this can be heard by, by 21st century American ears is that even if the stock market were to completely crash, and every last one of us were to lose our jobs, lose our homes, and lose our cars, if we woke up to a world tomorrow and what we happened to be waking up to was the Great Depression Part 2, if there were to be a total destruction of the farms and, and of the clean drinking water in this country, and we were to, to starve one inch from, from our debts, we would then discover that there is something more important in this world. There is something far greater than money or comfort or convenience. And that is having a theology that will dance even when our world breaks down. In the 18th verse, he says, I will rejoice in the Lord. Maybe you, you have a translation and it says, I will exult in the Lord. And what this word is in the Hebrew, it is the Old Testament equivalent word to what, what we find Jesus saying on the Sermon on the Mount, where he says, when you are persecuted for righteousness, he says, jump for joy. And here, what Habakkuk is saying is that, is that, even if all of these things were to happen as God's son, as God's follower, this is something I can respond to in a jubilant way to the point that I actually jump for joy that, that I belong to a God like this. And I mean, what a lesson for the American church. I mean, what a challenge this is to us. I think the danger is a lot of times our mindsets gravitate towards the opposite of what this song of Habakkuk is expressing. Where if my bank account is overflowingly abundant, where I've got spending money in my pocket, and I've got a walk-in closet and it's got 150 pairs of shoes inside, 
Or I got a promotion at work and I've got a two-story house, an Escalade, a big screen TV and a jacuzzi in my house. Then I will glory in you, O God. Then I will praise you at the top of my lungs. Then I will trust in you no matter what. And then I will call myself a blessed person. And yet if none of that action is going on in my life, then it could very well become, why, Lord? I thought that you loved me. And yet what the attitude of Habakkuk is, is just look around. Because everything that we lay eyes on, it is temporary and it's subject to change. Where it happened in the book of Genesis in Egypt as the seven years of plenty come to an end. It happened in the days of Job as, as he's very wealthy, but then all of a sudden, in the blink of an eye, he loses all of his children. He loses all of his wealth and possessions, even loses his own health. It happened in America in the days of the Great Depression. And Habakkuk knows that a bitter, aching sadness and a darkness is, is very soon about to come upon his people and his nation. And yet, what is his attitude? And yet, nations change in the blink of an eye. Economies change just like that. And yet, I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice. I will jump for joy that I am the treasure possession of a God who will not change and who does not change. I love so much the attitude of those Christians who we read about in the book of Hebrews. Where it says that the government stepped in and began confiscating property, seizing land that rightfully belonged to them for generations. And yet, how were they responding to all of this? Were they whipping out weapons and saying, hey, I've got a constitutional right. Hey, that's my stuff. Rather, what we find in the book of Hebrews is it says that, that they joyously accepted the seizure of their property and their possessions. And that's because just like Habakkuk, what, what their attitude was is that everything that I have in this world comes from God and belongs to God. The only thing that I lay claim to in this world is that, that I am a child of the living God. And the thing about all of these people living thousands of years ago in the days of Habakkuk is the thing about us living in the world of today. And that is no generation will ever be spared of the discomfort of this earth. Leo Tolstoy wrote that when life falls apart, it wakens people up out of their drunken stupor. And when they sober up, they either have to deal with the problem or go back to being numb. Habakkuk is addressing all of the what-ifs of his time and of his people and of his nation. And yet now, here we are. We are wrestling with our own what-ifs. I think a lot of people are wrestling with what if America really does go the Italy route in the weeks and in the months ahead. What if two weeks from now, our jobs are eliminated? I think a lot of people, I think the absolute number one fear of a lot of people in the what if is, what if 
this virus gets a hold of my spouse, of my mother, of my father, and they succumb to it. And this is my last chance to, to know them in this world. Other people are, are thinking, what if my life savings is, is wiped out? Amanda and I have a friend who wrote something very, just so wonderful the other night. And the idea of, of what she had said is, is that what separated the, the army of Israel from King David was that King David was not going on and on and on about how big Goliath was and how much his armor weighed and, and how, how undefeated he was as a champion all of those years fighting in battles. But rather, all, all that we hear coming out of the mouth of King David is God can, God will, God is, God is greater, God is more powerful, God is undefeated. That no matter what, God has got me. And we see a lot of this with Habakkuk. Is that one of the main core ideas of this book is that, that a heart full of praise and confidence in the power of God is not a person who is paralyzed by all of the what-ifs of this age. Notice how in verse 19, Habakkuk does not say, money is my strength, or the economy is my strength, but rather, what does he say? He says, God is my strength. God will not fail me. And I mentioned a moment ago in the book of Hebrews, and, and in chapter 11 of Hebrews, of course, is that list of, of incredible faith that we find in the lives of these men and women. And it says, men and women who the world was not worthy of. And it's like the world could just throw anything at them, and what their attitude was, discomforts are going to come, it's inevitable, it's inescapable. And yet it's like, world, you can throw whatever you want to at me. And is it going to be hard? Is it going to hurt? Is it going to be a test of my faith? I mean, absolutely it will. But as long as there is a living Father, as long as there is a Jesus and a Spirit living and dwelling inside of me, as long as the Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is in this body, my response, our response and the response of, of God's holy nation, his church, to whatever this world has to throw at us is, and yet. And yet, I will exult in the Lord my God. And then in the very last verse, in verse 19, he says, God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. And so, it is the imagery of a deer who is being chased by its predator. And, and we might envision, you know, the deer's eyes bugging out, but then, then it manages to, to just very narrowly evade its predator. And it starts scaling hills and mountains and valleys, then inclines up, up to the very summit of the mountain, and it starts looking down on the world that tried to break them. The world that, that it tried everything that it could to, to just utterly destroy them. And now it's like, man... I came this far, and now I am in a place where I am absolutely safe. And I mean, that is where we are no matter where we go as long as we've got God. 
So what can we take with us through the rest of this day and through the rest of all of this hysteria that is surrounding us in the world? Is that life in Christ is so beautiful and is so powerful that we as Christians never sing more joyously or more confidently than when we are hurting, than when we are broken, when we are aching, wondering when is all of this just going to come to an end. Even if Habakkuk writes, the world and all of its resources were to completely fail us forevermore, even if the worst case scenario were to happen, even if, and yet, I will and I can exult in the Lord my God. And so what I want to invite you to, as well as me to in the days ahead, as well as especially right now, is just simply take a deep breath. I mean, literally, let's take a deep breath right now. I mean, it's getting very bumpy out there, as I said a moment ago. And as we take these deep breaths every morning, afternoon, and night, as much as we can, try to empty our minds of all of these headlines, as true as they may be, and make the only thought in our minds as we inhale and exhale the words of God, I love you, I'm with you, and I'm not going anywhere. Remember the power of a few moments of deep breathing. You know, as we continue to be informed of, of everything that is going on in the world, and we need to be informed of that, still understand that, that life and comfort and convenience in this world and in this life and in this country called America, that is not the end game. And you know, this is a time and, and an occasion where this brings out, I mean, this can bring out the absolute worst in people. And yet as Christians living counter to the rest of the world, for us, what the opportunity is and, and what the responsibility of us as Christians is, is that this is an occasion for us to be at our absolute best, at our, our most unimaginable greatest as, as those who, who trust and glory in Jesus Christ. Let us adopt the spirit of Habakkuk, and yet I can and I will jump for joy and I will exult in the Lord my God. My friends, may we be comforted today and in the days ahead. It's not going to be easy. It's going to hurt. It's going to be one of the hardest things, if not the hardest thing that we have ever been through. And yet, nevertheless, we are in good hands, are we not? So may the Lord bless and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you and give you peace.